Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Three Crosses podcast. I'm Pastor Buzz Hannon, pastor for Young Adults and Families here at Three Crosses Church, and I am so excited that you chose to join us this week for another episode of our Shema series podcast. For this episode, I am overjoyed to welcome my friend and colleague and neighbor, Dr. Kimberly Grassi, a local East Bay legend, as it were. Kimberly is a colleague of mine from our PhD studies, where she um, devoted years to the study of the Old Testament scriptures. And I wanted to invite her here to share with you what it was like to journey through the Old Testament and be challenged by study and how it has impacted and changed her life. Not only is she an expert in this subject area, but she is a woman who walks the walk of discipleship. She helps lead her family well. She sacrifices for the cause of the kingdom, and she's a woman that we can all aspire to be like. Between her character and her expertise, there was no one better in the East Bay to connect you with when we're talking about the subject of Shema and Deuteronomy chapter 6. What is the Shema? Kimberly will help us unpack that a little bit. She's also going to guide us through some ways that we can practically walk loving the Lord out in our lives ways that we can move it from theory or thought or feeling and into practice and experience God face-to-face. She's also going to help us understand some of the, what I call the nitty-gritty of the Hebrew words and peel behind um, our English translation and see what did the Shema mean to the people to whom it was originally written? Are there any nuggets of inspiration that we can glean from learning about words like Shema or Katav or these really fancy-sounding Hebrew words, do they have an impact on us today? Kimberly will help us understand that, yes, they do have an impact, and not one that's just for experts, but one that's for each and every one of us. Here at Three Crosses, we're all about life transformation through following Jesus Christ, and I'm so proud of Kimberly and the way that she has been transformed, and I hope that by listening to our conversation, you will get a little bit of transformation as well, that you'll be encouraged and equipped to love the Lord your God with your heart and mind and strength even more than you did before you began. Let's turn to our conversation with Kimberly. Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Buzz, and I am here today with a very special guest, my friend, Dr. Kimberly Grassi. Uh, Kimberly, you and I became friends when we were each working on our PhD program, and you finished. Is that right? You're done. Yes, I'm done. I just graduated and ready to do the next thing. Now, your PhD, this is very fancy, and it takes a long time, and so we should celebrate that a little bit. Tell us uh, maybe just a a quick snip about what you did for your doctoral research project, and then maybe a little bit about what drew you to study in an academic sense. My... So my field of study is the Old Testament, and my research project was on the certain passages in the book of Job and comparing it to a passage in Habakkuk. And this, I knew when I started this project, I wanted to do something that was really relevant to me. And my questions about where is God when things aren't going the way I think they they should be going. And those are 
questions that Job asked, they're questions that Habakkuk asked, and they are questions God answered to both of to both Job and to Habakkuk. So I wanted to explore God's answers a little bit more and um, and see where he how he showed up in both of those men's lives, and they were both happy. Well, maybe happy is not the best word, but I've never really thought they, of Job was happy. No. <laughs> no, they were they were satisfied with the answers that God gave them and they were completely transformed in their understanding of of how God related to them. We did a series here at Three Crosses last summer in our wisdom literature, and that was one of my favorite Sundays. It was when we looked at God's answer to Job and seeing that God is sufficient despite your circumstances, not really being there. So, Isn't that because you preach the sermon? <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> of course it is. I always love when I preach. I'm the best. I'm just teasing a little bit, but <laughs> the reason that I asked Pastor Larry if I could do that week was because that's been one of my favorite passages. And you beat me to the punch mm-hmm. in studying it for your PhD. But what was it about studying the scripture that you said, I want to do this, not in a home Bible study sense, but I feel the Lord calling me more deeply into academic training. Was that for your own personal growth or was that for your discipleship or was that for a career that you were pursuing? What was it that you said? I've got to, I've got to go to school for this. I have two parts to that answer. One is that I've always enjoyed getting digging into the scriptures on a deeper level, and that has led me to pursue um, seminary degrees. And so with every seminary degree, I've finished it, and I've had a little bit of a break, and then I felt like I want to go deeper and do more. And um, so I continued going. And in, in the process of that, I've also been teaching at the seminary level. And it's something that I really love, the academic challenges and being in the classroom with the students who are also share that similar bent of wanting to um, to study the scriptures in a, in a deep way, but also to relate those things to their lives. Yeah, I really feel like when you get into the scripture and understand it as it was intended to communicate, it changes lives. And the, the way that study enriches the Lord's message to our hearts is a beautiful thing. And that's why I invited you here today, Kimberly, is to help unpack a little bit about our passage that we're going to be studying over the summer, which is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, sometimes known as the Shema. So Shema is kind of a funny way of speaking about it. What does that word mean? Or why do we call this passage the Shema? The passage, Deuteronomy 6.4, begins with the Hebrew word Shema, which is a command. And it's a command to hear, to listen, to obey, um, to pay attention to. So the whole passage starts off with God commanding the Israelites to listen to him. This may actually be a good minute. Why don't we just take a second and have you, Kimberly, read for us Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, which is the Shema, as we've been saying. And that way it'll be kind of fresh in our minds and we can grab it a little bit more clearly. So if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and read it for us. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them 
when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So this passage will be the substance of our sermon series through the summer here at Three Crosses. And um, I'm really excited to unpack a few of these things with you today in a way that we can't really on Sunday morning. So before we get academic about it, what is it about that passage in Deuteronomy that you personally just really love that grabs you and makes you think, this is one of my favorites? It is one of your favorites, right? It is. <laughs> uh, one of, well, I, yeah, one of the things that I love about the Shema is that it's actually two commands. The first command is to listen to God, and the second command is to love God. And we, when we think of commands, we tend to think of the Ten Commandments. And a lot of people think about Christianity this way, that it's a whole set of rules of things that we can do and we can't do. Most of the time, they think it's a lot of things we can't do. And yet here, when God is commanding us, He's commanding us to love Him. And that's something that we'll unpack a little bit, but it's, I think it, it gets to the core of our faith, which is that God is, He wants a relationship with us and that He's not, He's more concerned about developing the relationship than He is concerned about behavior. So what you're telling me is that Christianity is not just a list of do's and don'ts. As you said, many people think about it that way. Mostly don'ts. Don't Mm -hmm. get drunk. Don't have any fun. Don't do whatever. (laughs) Right. 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 We're very Mm -hmm. limited. But this passage, in fact, opens up our heart to love the Lord, as it says. Yes. I think that's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, It's so tricky, in a way, to say that, like, oh, just love God. I don't really know how to make that practical. So hopefully we'll get to that here in a second. Like, uh, I was talking to one of my friends the other day and she uh, had come to Christ as a adult. And she said, Christians kept telling me things like, just give it up to God. Just turn your heart over to the Lord. And she said, that doesn't make any sense when you're not already a Christian. How do you just do something like that? How do you just love the Lord? Maybe you're thinking that as a listener today, like, I would love to love God more, but I don't really know how to go about that. I think the Shema is here for you. So even though the Shema is oriented around relationship between God and ourselves, we can't get away from the fact that there is a behavioral component embedded into this as well. So he's saying, you know, love me, but the Shema comes on the heels of God giving us the Ten Commandments. What is important about that, Kimberly, that this kind of comes after the Ten Commandments section here in Deuteronomy, like four and five. Well, what I what's important about where the Shema is situated in the book of Deuteronomy in general is, um, and this is a, a basic practice when you're studying a passage, you always want to put it in its context, what comes before it, what comes after it. So leading up to Deuteronomy 6.4, there is a constant reminder to Israel that God loves Israel. God has loved their fathers. He has made a covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God has loved um, the Israelites as he's led them out of the Exodus and into 
the holding place where they are before they enter into the promised land, and that the Shema is the continuation of that love for Israel and what he's going to use in their lives to move them forward and what he has planned for them. So there is a rooting in the past of that relationship of God with Israel and God specifically with the Israelites' fathers and then continuing into the present. And as he reminds them that he loves them, then he moves into requesting that they love him in return in this covenant relationship that he has with them. So perhaps if I'm understanding you correctly, the Shema doesn't come out of the clear blue sky. It's the result of years of faithfulness that God has shown his people. Yes. And and I think in particular where you have the Ten Commandments that is directly preceding the Shema, God is reminding them that that he has created a covenant with them. There are certain things that he ways he desires for them to live their lives, but it has to be rooted in that relationship that he has with them and that they have with him or we have with him in return. I think it's so cool that God has had a relationship with his people for millennia and that we are gathered into that same family. And so when we read the Shema, it seems sometimes like that's old, like that happened to Moses. Like, what does it really have to do with me? But if we're still part of God's family, and if the Shema is a result of God's faithfulness to his family, that means that it really can be for us. I think that's pretty cool. Absolutely. So one of the ways that this generational connection walks itself out, as you said, the Shema is two commands. The first is to hear and to listen. What are we supposed to listen to God about? Or what is it about God's identity here that's revealed to us in this passage that you feel like is important? At the beginning of the Shema, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And this is a, a verse that really asserts God's authority, his unity, his absoluteness over everything. And I think the Shema begins that way because as the Israelites had this tendency, we in the 21st century have the same tendency, but to put idols in front of God and to give authority to other things in our life besides God and allow them to control us. Now you're saying the Israelites had a tendency to put idols before God, and you mean I-D-O-L-S, like little household statues or uh, representations of different deities other than the Lord. And you say, we have that same problem today. But I don't know anybody, Kimberly, that has a statue of a God in their home that they worship. It actually feels a little different to me what the Israelites did back then versus what we're doing today. So maybe you can help us a little bit. What does it mean that we put idols before God today? Uh, well, I th- there probably are some people, and I I mean, I have been to homes where people do have little idols. They might be little Buddhas or little statues or whatever, and they might not realize that these are, are little gods, um, whether or not they're worshiping them. But for believers, our bigger tendency is to put, um, you know, some people might worship success or they might worship relationship. You're giving authority to something else where God wants that authority. So an example coming from my own life is that I've had um, 
over, you know, my past years, I have had a struggle with food addiction and I have allowed food to take the place of meeting emotional and relational needs that God desires to meet himself. And so when I turn to food instead of turning to God, I am giving food that authority in my life. And one of this has been a painful area in my life, but it's also been an area where God has met me on a very deep level as he's challenged me to to take that desire to turn toward food and to turn it toward him. And one of the words that I have put on my heart um, comes from the Psalms where God says, the Lord is your portion. And when I've been tempted toward food, I try and redirect myself toward this is not a place God wants me to go, and He wants to be the one to fill me. He wants to be the one to be my portion. And so that's something that I have clung to as I, you know, develop and grow in my spiritual journey with God. And I'm by no means perfect, but I think I'm growing in in the direction of, of having a deeper understanding of what it means to to um, turn away from something that can draw me away from God. So when you're speaking about idols or idolatry in our world today, what I'm hearing you say is that it's really anything that takes attention that should be on God and puts it on itself. And so for you, your satisfaction was found in food. And that was what filled your physical cravings. Or you mentioned that some people worship success. But you're not talking about praying to success or singing a song to success, but really how somebody spends their time and what they focus on and what fills up their heart when they find it. Right. And how when we turn to those things, because we're not letting God fill us up, there's going to be an emptiness to it. And if you think about, I mean, even Buzz and I are talking about our PhD program. So we had goals and you know, you could call that a measure of success, but that ultimately it's done. And now what's the next thing? So there's a hollowness to it in that there's a momentary celebration, but now you've got to keep moving on, (laughs) you know, so there's, it, it becomes empty because there's always the next thing that you're chasing and, and God doesn't treat us that way at all. Yeah. I, I had to learn that as well, that being on the rat race of school um, I know not everybody's in graduate school, but um, just pushing every deadline, every paper, every test, every reading, mm-hmm. and then you get that validation of you got an A or you did better than your colleague or mm-hmm. um, you finished a degree and then you graduated. And then what's next? Why did you even do that? You, know, you just climb the hill, climb the hill, and then you realize there's so much more life in front of you. I don't know, maybe that's, for our listeners, uh, something you're finding in your career, that you push and push for promotion, or you've pushed and pushed and saved for a home, now you've bought a home, or you've pushed and pushed and you've found a relationship, or you've pushed and pushed and um, in terms of exercise or physical exploit, or I don't know what it is for you that you're pushing and pushing on, but like Kimberly's saying, I think we find that's all empty if we don't find its source in God. And so, Kimberly, if somebody's listening and they're saying, you know what, I'm finding myself in there. I'm finding that I have put something else before the Lord, and and I'd like to try to work on that. What are some suggestions that have been helpful for you um, from the Shema, perhaps, or from biblical study that might give people a road out of that idolatry and towards satisfaction in Christ? 
Well, the Shema talks about putting these words on your heart. And it says, these words I have commanded you today shall be on your heart. And one of the things that is I is a little bit curious is it doesn't specifically say what these words are. And so I understand it to be, you know, the words of Scripture, what God has, um, I mean, contextually within the book of Deuteronomy or within the first five books of the Bible, because that's where the Shema is located, but that these words that God, everything that God is is requiring of us or asking of us or putting before us in Scripture in order to know Him better, those should be on our heart. So when it says, put these words on your heart, mm -hmm. it doesn't just mean Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. It could mean a teaching of Jesus or a parable or a psalm or something like that. Yes. I don't think Moses looked ahead to Jesus, but I think that um, because it it doesn't specifically say what these words are. And so I do think it is the teaching that is, is it would be considered God's teaching. And so we can expand that out to include, I think, the entire Bible. So you shared about one psalm that you really love, that the mm-hmm. Lord is your portion. Are there some other verses that if people are like, you know what, I'd love to try to hide that in my heart and memorize it, that are some great first steps for people? I know this is kind of putting you on the spot a little mm-hmm. bit, but you're a PhD in Old Testament. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> time to show off a little bit. Uh, I Well, I think it's such a personal thing and that when you are reading scripture and you come across a verse that's personally meaningful to you, that it would help you in your spiritual growth if you took the time to memorize the verse. Um, Not everyone's great with memorization, but even to write it down and to reflect on that. And something that I do a lot is journaling. Um, and even if I'm writing something academic, I'm always, if it's hitting me personally, I always write that out. How am I, how is this touching my heart? What is this saying to me about God and how God is interacting with me and maybe what God wants from me, or maybe some areas where I think God might be prompting me to change or to put more prayer into, or to even, take to another person to get some wise counsel on. Um, When I think, for me personally, when I internalize or put God's word on my heart, it's more of reflecting through it and for for me writing through it because that's how I process. You're talking about getting a notebook out and writing longhand old school with a pen. That's what you do? Yeah, not even on the computer. And maybe that's that's dating me, but I, I... Yes, I get a pen and a paper and I write in a book. I think there's something about that process that makes you go a bit more slowly that lets the Lord speak Mm -hmm. to you. I know my temptation in reading the Bible is I want to consume as much of it as possible in as short of a time as possible. I want to get through it as if it's a race that I'm being timed on. And I love that advice that you're giving us to slow down when it hits you personally. Explore that a little bit. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. One of the things my sister does that I always thought was cheesy, and now I think, man, she was ahead of her time, was she would write a scripture verse on a three-by-five card and stick it to her mirror. Mm -hmm. And so that way when she was getting ready in the morning, we will not comment on how long it took her, um, she could see the words on the 
mirror and see them every day and reflect on them and think about them. And that would really frame her day in terms of what those words were talking about. Mm-hmm. So I think there's not really a, a set method. So for you, it's journaling. For my sister, it was a, a notebook. For me, I just do like to straight memorize because I'm okay. boring like mm-hmm. that. But you've got to find your niche. And I love what you said. is like as you're reading scripture, if it comes out to you and you're presupposing that, that's got to be a part of what you do as you try to find the Lord in the pages of the Bible. you got to right. get in there. Mm-hmm. you got to read it. And I might preface all of that with... A few caveats. I'm an introvert, so that works really well for me. Others of you who are more extrovert might process more through relationship, through getting together with somebody, having coffee, and with the specific purpose of talking through a passage that might be meaningful to you or that you want to understand more. Or you might even be really good at Instagram stories or, you know, thinking through creatively with pictures um, in a way that that will meet you on a heart level. Yeah. In Deuteronomy 6, 4, it says the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. So there's a community aspect that goes along with these things. So I think those are some, Mm -hmm. some great advices to get out and process with other people. I think sometimes the temptation is that we talk about Bible study. It's introverts like Kimberly and I that just love to sit alone in a library, but Mm -hmm. we are not usual. I don't think, I think more people are like you're saying, love to process with a friend and get out there. So don't feel bad if you can't sit in a library for hours studying the Bible. God just didn't build you that way. And that's great. Mm-hmm. Kimberly's telling you, spend more time on Instagram. It's perfect. <laughs> uh-huh. And my husband's an extrovert. He meets for breakfast probably three times a week with friends of his so that he can talk through the Sunday sermon. He can just talk about his life, but for him, that works really well. Yeah. Three Crosses, we talk about our process, that there's worship and community and service and evangelism. But that community piece we think is really important. And so if you haven't taken a step into community here, whether that's on one of our Sunday communities or some of our home communities that we're starting, um, I'd love to connect with you and help you plug into one of those. Studying the Bible is hard. Studying it alone is almost impossible, mm-hmm. I think. So Kimberly, we're talking a lot about Bible study, and sometimes it feels like Bible study is such an internal processing thing, that I read the Bible to get it in my heart, or I read the Bible to get it in my head, or I read the Bible to help me improve my daily life. Um, Do you feel like that's where Deuteronomy 6 leaves it? Kind of, you need to do this for yourself, or is there a broader aspect to it here that's instructive? Well, the Shema tells us to put these words on our heart, and then it tells us to teach them diligently to our sons or our children. So it does, in a, a, a generational model where you have the faith being handed down, um, we are required to not just take it all in for ourselves, but to then externalize that and give that back. So in whatever situation you find yourselves. I am a parent of teenagers, and I need to be thinking about as they're encountering the world, how do I teach these things to them? And, you know, on a very practical level, right now it has a lot to deal with what are we allowing to come into our house? What are they seeing on social media? What are they encountering in their classes at school? And how do I engage them with that and try and give them godly perspective on how they should be guarding their eyes and guarding their hearts in terms of what they allow in? 
Um, what are some examples of things that you guys have chosen to do as a family to help filter out what you allow into your home? Is there some details or some specific examples that you can give us with that? We monitor their social media. Uh, we read their text, not every day, not all the time, but occasionally. And we have uh, found opportunities to um, lovingly correct them as we've um, seen things come into their lives. I um, I really, as parents, we try and, and know what is going on in what are our kids watching? What are they listening to? Because the void, has, the world has a very loud voice. And, um, you know, we do go to church as a family. That's a non-negotiable. Um, my kids are getting to the stage where they're going to be start, they'll start making decisions about what they want to do with church for themselves, but that they've grown up in the church. They've grown up with um, not just the formalities of church, but really um, deep relationships where we have our friends are believers, our friends are connected to our lives, and they have permission to speak into our kids' lives. If my kids won't listen to me, maybe they'll listen to another adult who they trust and love. Yeah, I love that aspect here in Deuteronomy 6 where it says, teach these things to your children. It's not meaning just only your biological children, but let's take responsibility as a faith family to help raise up the entire next generation well. Yes. So mm-hmm. I think whether or not you're a biological parent, you have a part to play. And I hope that you play that part. Like here at Three Crosses, I'm so grateful for the people that teach in children's ministry or even the people that greet my children after Sunday and give them a hug and spin them around, stuff sugar in them, hype them up, mm-hmm. and send them home. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe I don't love you on Sundays, but I love that my kids are falling in love with the relationships that church brings. Mm-hmm. And I hear you tr- saying you're trying to cultivate that in yes. your own family mm-hmm. as well. Yes. And so you have those positive things, and then you're also monitoring texts and social medias. What right. social medias are teenagers into? I'm not cool, so I don't know anything about social media anymore. Well, the the one social media that is probably the hardest is Snapchat because I really only can look over their shoulder and catch a glimpse of that because the messages disappear, so there's not a long trail of it that you can monitor. But I, um, I follow my kids' Instagram accounts. They don't post a whole lot, but I follow their friends too, and... Um, you know, kids get, and even adults with social media, we kind of forget that everyone in the world is watching everything that we post. And so I do see a lot of, of what's going on. And I can be clued in a little bit to where maybe my kids are feeling left out because so-and-so was with, you know, somebody else at the beach all day or whatever. And, um, you know, or bigger things. I've had to tell my son, there are certain athletes you cannot follow on Instagram because the stuff they put up is just, it's not okay. So so you're creating what they what they watch, giving them a little bit of freedom right. and inviting mm-hmm. a community. And I think that's some, mm-hmm. some good advice. Um, but I love what you said that church attendance is non-negotiable. Right. Mm-hmm. That there's that discipline that you're building into them. I think sometimes we think about teaching things to our kids as like sit them down and have them memorize this or send them to some class at church and they will learn it there. But I don't feel like that's the real vibe here in Deuteronomy 6. Like give your kids more facts. Right. How would mm-hmm. you describe the learning style that Deuteronomy 6 prescribes for us? The Well, Deuteronomy 6 talks about teaching your kids 
with all of your being. It's when you're waking up, when you're going to bed. And, and that could be formally, but, you know, I have friends who pray with their kids in the car on the way to school. They pray with them before going to bed. Um, that gets a little bit harder when your kids get older and they go to bed at midnight and you have to go to bed at nine. But, um, but I still do try and make the space. I'm not always really faithful at doing this, but at least sitting on the edge of my kid's bed or sitting down with them before I go to bed and having a quick conversation because that is typically when things will start pouring out of them that you you never knew. And another thing, and I, I know you hear it all the time, and, and I don't do this as often as I should because, you know, obligations and sports and, and so many things can get in the way, but having those family dinners, sitting down even for 20 minutes where the whole family is together, and it might not even be dinner, maybe it's just, um, you know, maybe you can find a space in your day where there's 20 minutes that you... It's nice when you have dinner because you can be distracted with something else as well. But where, you know, and that's where I I have found out things about what this particular teacher is teaching at school or, um, you know, and where the siblings are kind of forced to interact also. So that can be something that's really helpful. And then you can address those things um, not in a preachy way because, you know, I, everyone shuts down if you, you start to get really... Um, telling them what to do, but in a way that you can draw them out. And it doesn't go just with kids, but when you're, you know, with your colleagues or you're with, um, you know, even a friend at coffee or whatever, trying to draw out what's going on in them and then figuring out how do I bring God into this conversation that if, you know, an issue comes up, maybe God's word could address it or, um, my relationship with them can help them sort through it. I think thinking about teaching children or teaching others, when I unhitch that from knowledge transfer, information transfer, and more towards modeling it with my life, I think that that's really helpful. Mm-hmm. So like if you're telling your kid to pray about something, do they see you praying about it? You're telling your kid you need to be more patient are they seeing you be more patient? You're telling your kid, you need to apologize and be quick to forgive. Did they see you apologize and be quick to forgive? Okay. And I don't think that's a parenting thing, but perhaps you're on the job. You're with your coworkers. Do they see you walk out what you profess to believe? That's the kind of teaching that I think Deuteronomy 6 prescribes. When you go out, when you come in, when you lay down, when you get up, are you living a lifestyle that's fully given over to the Lord? And can people see that and model after that and learn from that? When I was uh, in college, I well, actually college and in seminary, I worked in a restaurant. And I wasn't overtly evangelistic, but I had, um, after working there for a while, one of the waitresses came up to me and she said, you know, she knew I went to church and she knew I had faith. And she said, if there were a church of Kimberly, I would go there. And I don't, I don't say that in any way that I would have some awesome church, but, but she saw me, um, not participating in some of the, like going out drinking afterward or, um, and all of that, but yet still being kind of a normal, maybe nice person that she wouldn't mind getting to know a little bit better and someone who had a a stable life as well. And so I think that's kind of the best compliment really that you could get that somebody saw something in you 
that drew them toward God. Yeah. Thinking back, we talked about how Christianity feels a lot of times like do's and and don'ts. And it Mm -hmm. can just, you just get really wrapped up in that. I got to teach my kids the do's and the don'ts. And before you know it, following Christ becomes a series of rules. And Mm -hmm. nobody wants to give their life to a set of rules. But if Christianity is seen instead as a way that we are transforming our lives to become more and more like Jesus Christ, like who doesn't want to be more like Jesus? Like that's, that's amazing. In uh, Corinthians, Paul tells us that we are Christ's ambassadors, that we stand in the place of him, um, both for our families and our churches and our workplaces. And I think if we're doing a Deuteronomy 6 way of living, people should see that. Not in a prideful way, like you said, but if Mm -hmm. people are thinking, I don't ever want to be like your Jesus, maybe you need to check yourself a little bit. That's not the kind Mm -hmm. of thing we want you teaching to everyone else. Now, you were telling me before, Kimberly, that there's something to do with teaching people individually a little bit, that like there's not really a one size fits all. Like that's one of the things that makes parenting so hard is that your kids are different people. But what does the text itself have to say here in a way that helps you feel like that's what Deuteronomy 6 is teaching us? Um, <laughs> well, it says to teach your children diligently and the heap. I mean, I guess when you when you hear that, you might think, well, okay, so that means I have to get a Bible study and I have to, um, you know, sit my kids down. Or even if it's a, a relationship I'm trying to cultivate in the direction of Christ, I have to sit them down and we have to study the Word and we have to um, go through this formal um, outline. But the Hebrew word to teach diligently is the word to sharpen. And in the Old Testament, it's used primarily to sharpen knives. So what what that really means is that it's a way of of giving your children the tools to be incisive in their environment and to to not be dull, but to be sharp and to be able to um, kind of cut through the world in a way that they can bring Christ and bring the truth and be the truth. I remember when I got married, my grandmother was very excited to give me my wedding present. Now, Grandma Galloway, she passed away last year. I miss her quite a bit, but she was renowned for her fairness. And by fairness, always, sometimes it was so fair, it wasn't even fair, right? So one time at Easter, you guys get Easter baskets at your house? Yes. Is that a thing that you do? Mm-hmm. We do Easter baskets. And so my sister's got like $30 in their Easter basket from grandma, which is great because that means you've got $30 coming. Find my Easter basket and I have this like weird red silk shirt and $13. <laughs> I was like, come on, grandma. Like, <laughs> this is a nice shirt, but man, I'm 10 years old. I need my $30. <laughs> so my sister had gotten married a year or two prior to me and, uh, she had received from grandma like a a block of Cutco knives. Are you familiar with Cutco? Yes. They're they're very nice. Mm -hmm. I'm very fancy. I'm showing off a little bit here. And so at that time, my grandma had asked me like, do you want a block of Cutco knives? Which is code for, I have already bought you a block of knives (laughs) and we'll be giving it to you at such time as you get married. And so then fast forward two years down the road, Tara and I are getting married. Grandma comes out for the wedding, which is a big deal. And at our rehearsal dinner, she says, like, I know you have a lot going on, but I would really like to see you open your present, which I've known about for two years, right? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fine. We'll open the present. She's like crying tears of joy. She's got her camera out. She wants to film me opening up these knives. I was like, what is so great about these knives? 
I didn't cook at the time. But then using them, they are so nice. Mm-hmm. So to cut the chicken, to cut the vegetables. And now I really like to, to cook. And I go over to my friend's houses and they have like dull, horrible, cheap knives. Mm-hmm. I can't work in that environment. No. I need like a sharp knife that gets the job done. And I had never really realized the difference between dullness and sharpness until you experience it. Mm-hmm. And so when I hear you talking about sharpening your kids, like sometimes if you're dull and you're used to being dull, you don't even know that you're missing right. that sharpness. So I, I'm really grateful to grandma for giving me those knives and teaching me the value of a properly formed tool. Mm-hmm. It really gets the job done. And with the knife analogy, the I taught cooking classes for a long time and we had a knife skills class. We would have people bring their own knives in. And we always had to sharpen them before they could use them because the most dangerous knife in a kitchen is a dull knife. And that's where you will always cut yourself because it slips off whatever you're trying to cut and winds up in your hand. And it's still sharp enough to cut flesh. But um, so you're... when you're dull, you and, and dulling happens gradually, so you don't even necessarily realize that it's happening until all of a sudden you can't cut something that you're used to being able to cut. So it is something that also to be, you don't just diligently sharpen a knife once, but you have to maintain it and continually keep it sharp. Yeah, that's a beautiful picture, I think, of this. Diligently sharpen and teach your children, teach each other. In an ongoing basis, we're never really done learning. We're never really right. done teaching. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes that's exhausting. Like, when do I get a break? Mm-hmm. And other times it's beautiful. God calls us to follow him each and every day and to find him in those moments. Right. Mm-hmm. Kimberly, I've really enjoyed talking to you today about the Shema Deuteronomy 6, how we apply the Lord's scripture into our lives. Um, I value your friendship. I value your time. And so thank you so much for blessing us with your wisdom and your leadership. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about some projects that you have going on this fall, or maybe if we wanted to connect to you after having listened, uh, where might we be able to track you down? Uh, well, I really enjoyed being here and working on this podcast with you. Um, I Coming up in the fall, I will be teaching at two different seminaries. I'll be teaching a class at Gateway Seminary, a class on Ruth and Esther, and then I now, that's have, our alma mater, Gateway. It is, yes. Yeah, so so Gateway. they know that you're good, and they had to get you. So that's, <laughs> yes. that's a big compliment. Mm-hmm. And then I will also be teaching at Western Seminary, which is uh, their San Jose campus, which is actually in Milpitas, but um, two courses there. And then I also, because I shared a little bit of my background with struggling with food, I have... Um, benefited over the past two years from a relationship with a friend of mine who um, drew me into these online accountability groups where it's, you know, encompassing um, food and exercise, um, mindset around food. Um, And it's really, it it sounds very, it's very practical, but it's also very spiritually um, oriented. And so after two years of benefiting from that and being in an environment where there's love and support and encouragement and accountability, I've been, um, I've decided to reach out as we call it a coach, but um, to try and help other people. So everything that, that I've been given in terms of love and support and encouragement, I want to be able to encourage others who, who struggle with food or nutrition or you know, want to um, to turn their lives around. Um, you can 
reach me on Facebook if you want to private message me. Um, I'm always available for that and love to. Um, it's an area where I love to support women and men, um, people who want to grow in that. And I know there's, for some people, a lot of pain surrounding that, but I know that God heals. And um, that's my ultimate goal is for to see God bring healing into um, anyone's life who shares the struggle. Yeah, that's so cool to talk about coaching and accountability and struggle. And I was just seeing a lot of the components we've been talking about today and sharpening mm-hmm. someone and mm-hmm. getting them day by day down the road. That's kind of a Deuteronomy 6 way of living. So I'm excited mm-hmm. to see what the Lord does through your ministry in this fall. Thank you. And uh, hear great tales from your students about how difficult of a grader you are, <laughs> hopefully. I don't know if you are or aren't, but I bet you probably are. Um, and so to our listeners, thank you so much. I'll be uh, trying to provide a few of those links uh, to some of the material that we talked about here in the show notes and help it make it easy for you to either connect in community at Three Crosses or to connect with Kimberly, uh, should you wish to do that, or even to connect with a prayer need. Maybe you're struggling reaching your child, or maybe you're struggling walking your faith out at work. We would love to come alongside you and help support you in that. Don't struggle in silence. The Lord, our God, he's one, and he's bringing us together that we might be more like him. So reach out. We would love to help you. God bless you, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you. Wow. I hope that you were as inspired and encouraged by that conversation as I was. I hope in hindsight you can see that Kimberly was exactly the right voice to speak into these topics. I especially loved how she was able to share with us that to teach or to train or to send on is that same word as to sharpen or to choose a tool. Last week on the Three Crosses podcast, we had Dr. Lyons on to share with us a few study tools that we can use to help sharpen ourselves. If you missed that one, I encourage you to go back and listen to it and hear about some ways and some resources that you can encourage yourself in your biblical study. But what I loved about our conversation today is that it didn't leave everything in the realm of the theoretical, but by placing ourselves in a position of prayer or parenting or Um, laying down those idols of food or self or money or image, man, that's not a theoretical study issue. That's an issue that just takes daily work and daily reliance on the Lord. I encourage you, if you are in the midst of such a struggle, to reach out to someone. Here at Three Crosses, we're always trying to connect people into vibrant Christian community, uh, which just means people just like you that want to come around the person and work of Jesus Christ and support one another in following him. I think that following Jesus is so hard, and it's almost impossible to do by yourself. Don't struggle alone. Let us help you. Regardless of whether you have a prayer request or a need for connection, or even if you want to just give us some feedback about these episodes and if they've helped you and how they perhaps could help you more, or maybe there was a question or something that you didn't quite understand or catch, I would love to hear from you. We want to make these a resource that's as impactful as possible. My email is buzz at threecrosses.org. That's B-U-Z at the number three crosses.org. And I would love to hear from you. Just put in there a little note that you had been listening to the Three Crosses cast and that you'd love to share your thoughts and opinions. I'll reply to you for sure. And uh, who knows, you may see your ideas adapted into a future episode. Here at Three Crosses, we are praying for you. We are believing that God can change lives through following him. Would you take a step after him today? Thank you for listening. And we will see you next week right back here at the Three Crosses podcast.